0: Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Hey, if you would, turn your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 5. And we're we're looking at building our families and building our lives on the foundation of the Big Ten Values, uh, the Ten Commandments. And so, um, if you would, please turn there with me. If you didn't bring your Bible, grab the one out of the back of the pew in front of you. Um, as we're going to see, I, 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 hopefully we can see that these values are certainly uh, under question, under attack today in, in in the world in which we live. Um, the question becomes: Will you build your life upon these values, or are these, you know, do you view these just as good suggestions, or are these values that really cut to the core of who you are, and you're building your life on these values, hands down, no exceptions? And today, um, uh, I want to look at uh, I want to look at one of them about using God's name in vain. We just sang about God's name and how we love to shout His name, Yahweh, Yahweh, and what does that mean? What does it mean, you know, uh, not taking God's name in vain? So, we're going to look at that today. Uh, when we first started this, we looked at got where God said, "Don't have any other gods before me," um, and and we tried to talk about and really reflect upon what that means in our lives, especially in the 21st century here as you and I live. What does it mean to have to not have any other gods before God? God says, "I'm a jealous God. There's only one God. That's me, and I don't want any other gods before me. I want me to be me. I want I, I want to be number one in your life." And I don't know about you, but when I take a look at my life, there's times where I can see that, you know what, I'm not, sometimes I think Yahweh is in question sometimes in my life. I know that sounds really horrible, right? We'd say, oh, no way. I mean that from a practical standpoint, essentially. I mean, it's easy to say, well, yeah, God's my God, man. He's the one that gives me salvation. He's the one, I know that He's, He's the God of all gods. But yet, there's times where other things takes precedence over Yahweh in my life. At times, you know, where I step back and say, "Wait a minute!" I say that He is my God. I say that He's the one I'm building my foundation upon, and that there's no other God in my life. But yet, when it comes to time and it comes to certain things where I have to make decisions, there's a lot of times where I can reflect and say, "You know what? I'm not so sure God's getting top priority in this in this particular situation." And it's very convicting in the Holy Spirit enables me to see much deeper than just uh maybe taking just a glance at and say oh yeah god's number one in my life last week we talked about idols not having any other idols god said don't have any idols in uh, before me oh that's easy i don't have a some pole in the back of my yard or some god erected in the back of my yard that i take my family back out and say hey you know it's seven o'clock we're going to bow down before this god and and um, oh yeah, by the way, those neighbors cats that we don't like, we're going to sacrifice those along with the squirrels and chipmunks and stuff like that, right? Well, we don't do that. At least hopefully we don't do that, right? I get that we pick off cats and chipmunks and squirrels occasionally, right? But maybe that's another story, right? But we don't do that. But yet, we think nothing of taking a lot of time off and not really spending time with God. We don't, we, we, we don't think nothing about taking our money and using it for things that, that are not—that's not of God. We don't think—we don't really think about using our time uh, in you know in, in ways that may not bring God glory or our our resources or whatever it may be. And we'll say, "Well, I don't have time to do these things because I've got to do this, this, and this." And next thing you know, if we'd really take a look at it, we've got idols in our yards. We've got idols in our land, you know, on the land, littered across the landscape, uh, within our, within our hearts. We don't really like to look at stuff like that. And in fact, that's why one of the things I want to share with you, and I, I don't know if I skipped the slide here, but, uh, this emotionally healthy spirituality, do we have a slide for that? If not, that's okay. Um, this emotionally healthy spirituality that I want to start teaching on on Wednesday nights, uh, here coming up in October, I really need you to pray about this and consider this. And already we're thinking it, right? I don't have time. I've got this going on and this going on. I'm telling you, if you really want to grow in your walk, you want to be a part of this of this group, okay? And we'll have fun doing it, but it really takes us to that point where we can look deeply into our lives to say, okay, you know, there's some things in here that I think I really need to take a look at. And a lot of times we don't take a look at things because... It's because it becomes very personal and close. And it becomes an inconvenience to look at certain things within our lives and have this sense of self-awareness. It becomes an inconvenience, I think, at times to allow someone else to kind of look into our lives and kind of give us some counsel and to say, hey man, I love you and I'm on this journey with you, but I just want to share something with you. Please consider this. Begin to sign up for it now. Let me know. Sign up. Take something out of the back of the pew in front of you, one of those communication cards, and write down on there that that you're interested in this. That doesn't mean you're getting locked into it. Make a decision today. Make a decision for the betterment of your spiritual well-being. I agree with what this author says when he says that you cannot be spiritually mature if you're emotionally immature. And I'd like to explore that more with you. So please... Consider coming and attending this on a Wednesday evening, um, as we begin to as we begin to take a look at things. But uh, this concept of of not taking God's name in vain. Turn with me, if you would, to Deuteronomy chapter five, and I want to look at verse eleven. Now, if you've uh, been in the Word and you've kind of studied this passage a little bit, some of you may say, "Hey, you know what?" Didn't these Ten Commandments come up back here in Exodus and now they're again in deuteronomy what's what's different about those or what's the key on that? I see that you know I saw that and I'm just curious on what you what you know how, why is that well that's a good question. I just want to share with you real quick maybe give a little a little bit of context. when these were first given back in Exodus, if you remember they were exodus, meaning they were exiting Egypt, God was showing his people that this is who they were going to be uh in in relationship with him you this is how you identify with me this is what's going these are the things that's going to mark you as my people these are the this is what my people are going to look like and so in exodus when when um when when moses received them it was really kind of that moment where god it was the moment where god kind of inscribed them on some tablets right on stone and they took those tablets and if you remember that they took those tablets and they put them in the ark of the covenant which they transported around with them and that's where god's presence resided uh for them and so in exodus we see god giving them these ten commandments okay now later on in deuteronomy Moses is giving a message back to the people and he's saying, okay, look, we're, now it's time to really start talking about these things. And so what you have in Exodus is kind of like the formal process of God giving them these Ten Commandments. In Deuteronomy, you're kind of getting Moses' not interpretation of them, but kind of Moses' message where he's saying, hey, this is what God said back here. And so that's kind of where we have this repeat. He wouldn't have maybe broken out the Ten Commandments on the tablets from the Ark of the Covenant every time he referred to them. And so he's... He's kind of re re kind of reestablishing them again to the people saying, "Hey, remember these. Remember these." In fact, Deuteronomy's all about remembering, remembering, remembering because we're forgetful people. And so, he's giving them the, these 10 commandments again, maybe a little bit more on a personal level, a personal kind of just in his own words type thing. And so, he's but they mirror exactly what God gave them back in Exodus. And so, Uh, We already talked about the first couple there. And and in verse 11 there, it says this, Do not misuse the name of the Lord your God, because the Lord will not leave anyone unpunished who misuses His name. The Lord God, it says, I'm sorry, let me back up. Do not misuse the name of the Lord your God, because the Lord will not leave anyone unpunished who misuses His name. Now, how do you interpret that? How were you raised? How What influenced you? When you look at that passage of Scripture, it says, don't take God's name in vain. Don't misuse God's name. How do you interpret that? Now, this is where we're going to have a little bit of congregation participation, right? This is where everybody comes up out of their... You're not sleeping, but you're kind of in that rest mode, right? So I'm going to bring you out of that and activate you. This group over here, okay, we're let's go ready yes man if you had i tell you what if you had something to kill me with i think it would be coming this way real quick i want look and seriously uh i'm joking but let's let's i want i want you to engage with me you don't have to go into a dissertation or a 95 thesis what does that mean real quick what does it mean to you not to use god's name in vain how do you interpret that won't you guys start and then we'll just kind of go across the room just okay not say his name in slang okay okay i'm not going to repeat it because i'm afraid to get struck by lightning so and the rest of you say yes they are our spokesperson right people spokespeople anyone else how about over here okay it, okay In anger, what else? Not saying Jesus Christ, kind of, yeah. What I'm sorry? In a negative way, okay. Say it one more time loud. Okay good point yeah all these are good anyone else over here we all concur with what they said Right? oh okay cursing okay did you what yeah right <laughs> right exactly no comment on that one right Yeah, yeah, right. (laughs) True, okay, yeah, okay. Yes, Kathy. Okay, yep. That's kind of where we're going with it. And by the way, I love how you said that. That's the one thing I learned in school, in, in, in my master's program. You never made a statement. It was always, I've heard it said, right? Cause then they can't come back and say, prove it. Who said that? Where's your quotation? You just plagiarized, right? Well, I've heard it said, or some have said, I like that. Not give him praise where praise is due, okay? Anyone else? Harold. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Kind of goes along with what Kathy was saying there too, right? We're taking on that name. Did you, Linda? Okay, so thinking. Okay, yeah, okay. I think all these things are absolutely kind of go into that, right? And it depends upon it depends upon uh, I think your how you were influenced, right? Um, some all of us, I think we all. I, I would assume. <laughs> It has been said that no, um, that we 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 all would probably agree that you know we don't we don't take God's name of it. In fact, let me share this with you. God's name. I don't know if I have this as a note here. I want to want to jump ahead here. But God's name in the God's name in the Old Testament was called Yahweh. Okay, and we just sang that song Yahweh and the way it's spelled Y A H W E H. Okay. Now in Back in the Old Testament time, when that name kind of came up, Yahweh, they would literally take the vows out of that name. These guys viewed the name of God so sacred that they wouldn't even, they would, they wouldn't even really say His name. They would condense it, they would take certain vows out to where you just kind of, hey, Yahweh, you know, it was like, that's how they believed. They believed it was so, His name was so sacred that they would never ever want to utter it in a way that that might that would be wrong. I mean, that's how they just literally viewed his literal just his name Yahweh. Okay, very you know and it goes along with this. And God says, I don't want you to take my name in vain. Don't misuse my name in vain to the point where He would go on to say, as I read it again or a couple of times, because God will not leave anyone unpunished who misuses my name. So let's talk about this for a minute because this is these are things that we build our life on. This is a value proposition here. Using God's name in vain. What does it mean? It means Yahweh's right to proper representation. And I think Kathy and Harold kind of hit on it. And all of us have hit on it too. But this concept of, you know, um, Yahweh's right to, to proper representation. I say that I'm a Christian. By the way, what does a Christian mean? In the In that word, Christian meant Christ-like. It was used in a derogatory way back after the ascension of Jesus Christ. Well, there goes one of those individuals that's a Christian. They're one of those little Christ-like looking individuals. They're doing the way things Jesus did things. They're a Christian. Very flippant, very, very kind of derogatory. But that's what it means. Being a Christian means that we look like Christ. We take on the nature of Christ, we take on the the character of Christ. We take on the uh, not so much all of His attributes, but we begin to reflect who Jesus was. That's a proper representation of who God is. Correct? Where we say that we're a Christian, so when people look at us, they see something different. Now, does that mean we're perfect? Absolutely not. There's no way that we're going to be perfect. But when someone views us, do they view us? Do they do they see us and they do they see us differently? Do they see it and I mean differently, I mean a good differently, right? Do they see us in a way that reflects and represents God in the way that he needs to be or should be represented? And again, the Jewish tradition would would never ever use his name in a flippant way because they viewed it being so divine. Now Here's what I want us to look at in the point, in, in using God's name. And if you would catch, uh, go a couple slides in where it says in the Hebrew. Because in the Hebrew, when you translate this passage of scripture, it literally means this and it sounds kind of clunky, but it says, you shall not bear slash carry the name of Yahweh your God emptily. Now what does that mean? Emptily. How, how, how do you carry God's name? How do you bear God's name or Yahweh in a way that, that that would would reflect him. The idiom derives itself back in the days of slavery. Now, let's get beyond American slavery and let's look at back, you know, to the slavery. And there's concepts of American slavery and all that that would kind of mirror this a little bit. But when we talk about slavery too in the biblical biblical terms as well, it was almost a trade too. I mean someone could say that they were a slave. If they didn't have a lot of resources or anything, they could, they could kind of go into it as a profession, right? So in a sense, this idiom derives itself from the ancient practice of branding slaves with the name of their owner, okay? So the, the owner would have a, have slaves and they would brand this this, this this slave as theirs, okay? So the point here is this, it's to bear the name of Yahweh, to bear the name of Yahweh, Means to claim his, claim him as one's owner and to accept the role of representing him. Think about it. To, to bear the name of Yahweh, to say that we're a Christian, to take God's name and not use it, not misuse it, not represent him in a negative way, whatever, means that we claim him as our owner. That he owns me. Ooh, that's a hard one, isn't it? He owns me. Can you wrap your brain around that? Especially living in a society where we love individualism. A society that says, you ready for this one? I'm entitled. Ooh, man, is that like kind of grind? I've got my rights. Don't you dare infringe upon my rights. I'm entitled to certain things. How are you guys feeling right now? Do you see where I'm coming from? Arms crossed. Arms crossed. Furrows browed. To bear the name of Yahweh means to claim Him as our owner. To accept the role of representing Him. Do you represent God well? Do we, does our lives represent God in a way that that brings His name glory? That someone would look and say i that person is different they're not perfect they're not perfect by any way but they're different you see in the Old Testament time it meant that if someone claimed that they were a person of God of yahweh and and, and they were and yahweh was uh, their covenant lord they could not live as if they belonged to Baal which was an idol you couldn't live as if you belonged to these other idols. You couldn't live as if, yes, I'm part of God, but I'm also part of this over here. I'm kind of this. And the consequences of what God is saying here is this. The consequences of misrep- rep- misrepresenting Yahweh are declared only in the vaguest of terms. These Yahweh, uh, the, the, you, will, you will not be held guiltless. You, you cannot be held guiltless if you say that I am your, your owner, but yet you represent me in a way that doesn't bring me glory, a way that brings me shame, a way that, that, that really uh, takes things off point here is this. So how do we, what is the difference? You know, how do we not use his name of faith? Now, let me just, I don't, I don't want to go on a soapbox here by any means, but I just want to share something that I think is very evident in our society today. It's two words, or yes, two words social media social media it is amazing the way some people that would say that they're Christ followers and owned by Yahweh, owned by Christ and what they represent themselves as or represent him as on social media well wait a second, what are you talking about? I've got my opinion. I'm entitled to my opinion. I'm entitled to be able to say whatever I want to say. You are. You 100% are. But does it bring God glory? Does your opinion bring God glory? Maybe there's times where we may think something, but we just kind of leave it there. Kind of like old school, right? We think it, but we just kind of leave it there and maybe process it a little bit. All I'm saying, guys, is this. Maybe we need to entertain this because this is something that I think we've lost sight on in building our lives on a value that says, I'm Yahweh's. I'm God's. I represent Him. I'm a 360-degree person now, which means everything I do and say reflects God. I remember growing up, my dad was a pastor. Now, if you grew up, I know uh, you grew up as a pastor's child, and there's this thing we call the fishbowl syndrome, right? Because people watch you. As a kid, people watched you. They watch you more so as a pastor's child. Because why? Because you can really reflect your parents or your father that was a pastor. Reflect, you could really represent him in a bad way, which people would use as ammunition to go against your father, or whatever that was a pastor. That's how we're all in a fishbowl, guys. People are watching and people look. And was I entitled to my opinion? Absolutely, I was entitled to my opinion. But there could have been. There could have been some implications behind it. It comes down to a choice is what it comes down to. It comes down to a choice that says, is it really more important for me to express my entitled opinion or my, my, my entitlements, Or is it more important for me to represent and bring God glory or represent my family in a, in a way that, that, that is not negative? And I think that's where sometimes we can get really hung up and lost. Let me share with you just a couple ways that we can do this. Number one, we possess a fear and awe of God. When you read throughout the Psalms, and I want to go into a series, and, and you're going to hear about this a little bit later, but I want to call it, and, and I want to play with the words, I want to call it uh, awful followers of Jesus, or awful followers. And I want to, you know, A-W-E and then in brackets have full followers. Whereas followers, we are full of the awe of God. Because I think when we become full of the olive awe olive, when we become full of the awe of God, there's a lot of other things that get squeezed out because we're more, more full of God than we are of ourselves. Are we awe full followers of God, of Jesus? Have we, you know, as we submit our lives to Him, are we, do our lives become lived in such a way that it's all about living in this fear and awe of God? Now when I say fear, and there should be some fear of like what God could possibly do to us, I get that, but I'm talking about more of a fear of respect, more of a fear and awe of God that says, I am in so in, in, infatuated with who God is, and to bring Him glory. The Psalms clearly depict this. Psalm 29.2, listen to what the psalmist says. He says this, Ascribe to Yahweh the glory due His name. Ascribe to Yahweh the glory that's due His name. Worship Yahweh in the splendor of His holiness. When I read that, I just feel the weight of who God is. The weight of God's glory. I can't imagine what it's going to be like when we finally get to see God in the splendor of His glory. I've shared this with you before. I get amused when people say, well, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask Paul a certain question. Or I'm going to ask Jesus about this. Or I'm going to go back and ask whoever it is in the Bible. I didn't understand this, so I'm going to go back and ask them. Guys, we're going to be standing in the glory of God. I'm not so sure... Our human thoughts are still gonna be on our minds or whatever we're gonna have then at that time, right? Standing in the awe of God. Standing in the glory of God. Standing in the presence of God. Where the authors write so many times that the glory of God just is so splendid that, that of light, that it just illuminates. There can't, there's no darkness whatsoever in the, in the glory And the splendor of who God is, just His glory, the light that it emanates. I I don't think we can wrap our brain around that. And God says, the author says, ascribe to Him the glory that is due His name of who God is, worshiping in Him in His complete splendor. And what that means so so we possess this fear and awe of God where it's like man this is all about who God is my life is all about who God is it doesn't matter about what i think it doesn't matter about my, the entitlement of my opinions about things what it matters is 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 my life lived in such a way that it brings God his his glory the second thing is represent well Represent well. What does that mean? Second Timothy, Paul writes and says this, nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm having this inscription. The Lord knows who are His. The Lord know, knows, or the Lord knows those who are His, and everyone who names the name of the Lord must turn away from unrighteousness. Unrighteousness. It's no longer about us. It's no longer about me. It's no longer about you. It's no longer about our entitlements. It's no longer about all these other things. It's about Jesus. It's about God, period. That's it. It's about God, period. No, but, no. It's about God, period. Look at the way the New Testament authors... I'm going to share with you just a couple of ways. L- listen to this throughout uh, just a couple of examples that I have here about representing God Well, Look how the New Testament authors—Paul, uh, Peter, some of these other guys that, that wrote in the New, James, that wrote in the New Testament—when they would write a letter, when they would write a letter, listen how they introduce themselves. You ready? Romans one one, Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus, a slave of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle and singled out for God's good news. He writes to the Galatians, chapter 1, verse 10. For am I now trying to win the favor of people or God? Or am I striving to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a slave of Christ. Philippians 1, 1. He's greeting them with Timothy. Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus. To all the saints in Christ Jesus are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons. Again, Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus. He writes to the church in Colossians, In Colossians 1-7. You learn this from Ep- uh, Epaphras, our dearly loved fellow slave. He is a faithful servant of the Messiah on your behalf. Titus 1-1. Paul, a slave of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to build up the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to To godliness. James one one, half brother of Jesus. James, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. To the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. First Peter two sixteen. As God's slaves live as free people, but don't use your freedom as a way to conceal evil. Second Peter one one. Simon Peter, a slave and an apostle of Jesus Christ. To those who obtain the faith of equal privilege with ours through the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Last, Jude 1.1. Jude, a slave of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. To those who are, who are the called, loved by God the Father and kept by Jesus Christ. wonder what would happen if we start introducing ourselves like that. Hey, my name is Gail Rube. I'm a slave of Jesus Christ. What's your name? My name is Gail. I'm a slave of God for the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's pretty powerful. I wonder why we don't do that. Could it be maybe sometimes we may not want to be ridiculed, but then there might be this other side where we say, yeah sometimes my life doesn't appear like a slave of jesus christ because being a slave when these guys use that and and, and introduce themselves as such i am a slave of jesus christ i am a slave of god i am i identify i am i am branded i am branded and marked by the holy spirit as a slave of jesus christ now Again, when we talk about slave, we say, wait a minute, wait a minute, hold up, back up. In the New Testament, slave, that's not a good word anymore, really? Because we've been freed, right? Bondage has been let go. Of sin, of the evil one, of the one who had control over us, that goes clear back to the Garden of Eden before the, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And now, once this happened, we are what? Slave of God. We're called by God. Every single one of us in here is a slave of God. I wonder what our conversations would sound like when we go to certain meetings if that's how it started. I'm a slave of Jesus Christ. Now, can I tell you how much I'm disgruntled about this, this, and this, and this? I doubt you would. I doubt we would. Because that stuff all has to do with things that are so temporal. Represent well. The fear and awe of God. Having the fear and awe of God and representing God's will. Representing His name well. If the worship team would come back, we're gonna, I wanna, we're gonna sing another song about the name of God. The last point is this. Implicitly trust in His name. Do you implicitly trust in God's name? In Jesus' name. Listen to what the psalmist says in uh, 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 Psalm thirty-three, twenty-one. It says this: "For our hearts rejoice in Him, because we trust in His holy name." I'm going to throw my mom under the bus here for a second, okay? A, because she's not here, and B, many of you—well, she will be visiting, but I won't tell you when because I don't trust you guys. I grew up in a home that influenced me with the Word of God in a very powerful way. Not as an option, not in a legalistic way whatsoever, but in a way that said, this is what we build our lives on. This is is what we build our our families on. This is what we build, this is our value here. Okay? Very passionate about it. I remember we were last year when the elections were rolling around. I remember talking with mom and just, and, and rightfully so, having these moments of, you know, where our country was at, where we were heading, and, and, and our society, and where, you know, it, that goes beyond politics. And I remember her talking and just kind of having this message of fear. I said, Mom, I don't get it. You raised me to trust in God's holy name. And when I hear you talk like this, it really takes the trust off of God's holy name and puts it on politics and puts it on mankind and on God and on man's kingdom. I said, you didn't raise me that way. And when I call and I talk to you, and I respect you and your faith, and I'm starting to hear this stuff, it really disturbs me. I'm sorry, guys. Give me any politician, give me anything of man's kingdom And I will fight you tooth and nail that God trumps it all. My trust is in this. My trust is in God's kingdom that's going to come whether we think it's going to or not. My trust is in a God who is going to do what he said he was going to do? That the, this battle was won, and this battle's not about mankind. This battle's not about me going against you and us going against one another, and all these other things that we see in our culture today. This battle is happening in the realms of the spirit world. And it's been going on for a long time and there's going to be, a, it's, the battle's been won but there's going to be a day when all things are going to be set new and God's going to say enough is enough and everything is going to be, well, all this temporal stuff is going to be wiped away and those of us that have placed our faith and trust in God's holy name will spend eternity with Him. Satan has been defeated. Revelation 12 tells us that the That that men and women stood and the battle was fought and the battle was won on the testimony of their witness guys this is temporal and when I was talking with my mom I said mom I don't get this man I called when I talk with you I don't want to hear this kind of garbage you know what she said probably the only time in her life she ever said you're right (laughs) I'm joking. She says it all the time. No. She said, you know what? You're right. She said, you're right. It's so easy to get caught up in, the dece- in this deception. Guys, if we're not trusting in God's holy name, what, I don't, what else is there to trust in? What else is there to trust in? God is One and God is going to set all things new when he said I want to tell you something when we build our lives on the on, on the concept of, of of the 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 on the value that we're going to bring God glory and never misuse his name we're going to represent well our lives are going to be focused on the right things you want to have joy in your life trust in his holy name you want to get over this temporal stuff have fear and awe of God. Represent Him well. You're a Christian. We're Christians. The battle has been won. What is up with the, the joylessness that we walk around with at times? What is up with the frustration? What is up with the discouragement? What is up with when we look around we say, well, I, yeah, it's, this isn't good. This isn't happening. I'm sorry. You're carrying a spirit that's not of God. It doesn't represent God well at all. Don't misuse God's name. I think it goes down to just like we were talking. How do we use God's name? Do we misuse it? Do we represent? Do we represent well? Does our behaviors coincide with God? Does what you think and the things that roll off of your tongue bring God glory? God's a merciful God. God is an incredible, patient, gracious God. I get that we're humans at times. We're not perfect. But if if you're sitting in here this morning and you haven't been representing well, I would ask that you would respond to God's holy name this morning. Let's pray together. Let's confess. Let's come clean with God and represent Him well. And bring His name glory and splendor. Would you stand as I pray? Father, we give you great thanks for who you are. We absolutely don't deserve anything that you give us, but yet you are this God of love that is just blows our human mind. It's a paradox that is so hard to understand. But yet, you love us so unconditionally. And and, and when we get discouraged, when we get off the path, when we don't represent well, when we lose that fear and awe of who you are, instead of you rejecting us, instead of you sending us to hell, you continue to love us, to bring us back. Father, I pray this morning that... Here at Element, we would be a people that's certainly not perfect, but we would be a people that has a humble, teachable spirit that wants to live our lives, that desires to live our lives in a way that represents you well, a way that doesn't just showcase our entitlements or, or, or the thing, our rights, but instead, it's about you. Where we sacrifice it all through this sense of self-sacrifice, we give it all. We lay it all at the altar and take upon ourselves Your name. Remind us again who we are: Your children, Your brother, Your your sons and daughters in this incredible family that You've invited us into. May we represent well. May we bring You glory and splendor. And it's in your most holy